This week, all the way from Sydney, Australia, Leanne tells a story we've all heard before, but never like this. Leanne didn't feel pretty or popular, so she wasn't offended when she found Richard doing his best to look down her shirt at a party. If anything, she was flattered. After years of being manipulated, controlled, and frankly, emotionally abused, Leanne was finally given an out. She took that out and never looked back. Leanne's story is full of lessons for all of us about self-love and taking control of our own destiny. Welcome to My Crazy Divorce. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Crazy Divorce. I'm your host, Tom Milligan. I'm so excited for y'all to meet our guest, Leanne. Not only does she have an amazing story, but she also has a great accent. As I mentioned in the teaser, Leanne's story is really about self-love. It's about the fact that we're all way too critical of ourselves, and we need to give ourselves more credit. As you listen to Leanne tell her story today, try to imagine how different her life could have been if she'd learned that one lesson earlier in life. Before we get to the story, if you hear something on this show that you like and then implement that something into your life, good for you. Let us know how it goes. But just remember, we don't offer any legal or therapeutic advice on this show, so you're on your own to decide what advice is worth following. And one last thing. If you have a crazy divorce story, I think you should share it with our audience. You never know how many people your story might help if you share it, but you know exactly how many it will help if you keep it to yourself. So head on over to MyCrazyDivorce.com and click on the Apply to Be a Guest button, and let's talk. With that done, say hello to Leanne. Leanne, thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to hear the story today. Yeah, I'm excited to tell it, and I believe I'm your first Aussie. Woohoo! <laughs> yes, you are. Love the love the accent. I'm sure you don't hear it, but you hear ours, right? Absolutely, I love your accent. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, you know what? I'm excited to hear the story. So let's just start with, as we always do, let's learn a little bit about you. Okay. And before we get started with the childhood, which is where we normally start. You've got some credentials, but you're yeah. not just the average Joe. Why don't no. you tell us a little bit about your credentials? Yeah. Okay. So I am a registered psychologist in Australia. I have my own private practice where I see psychology clients, mostly adults over the age of 16, trauma, relationship stuff, divorce, stress, all sorts of different things. But I also am a divorce and breakup coach, and that's how I connected to you by you know, listening to your podcast, and I really liked what I heard, so I reached out to you. I absolutely love working with people on their divorces and, and helping them to move past the shit fight that it is. Hope you don't mind me swearing, because that's really what it <laughs> Not is. Not at all. <laughs> and whenever I work with anybody on their divorce, there's always trauma, 
There's always a history that they need to work through. There's always stress that I can help them with. But it's really focusing on getting them from their divorce and the horror of that to where they want to be in the future and giving them that support because let's face it, going through a divorce on your own is extremely difficult. And I'd love to be the person that helps others. I'm a helper. <laughs> that's what I do. That's, that is, that's fantastic. I wish that I'd had more of a resource like that when I was going through mine. So, well, I'll tell you what, let's, <laughs> so that's kind of the end of the story, which is, you know, this amazing person who helps others, but look, we need to get to that point. It didn't uh -huh. start that way is my guess. Uh -uh. So no because most of our listeners are in the U S tell us a little bit about where you grew up. Tell us about your family, but be very careful to explain a little bit about the geography because most of us don't know anything yes. about Australia. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. So I grew up about 40 minutes outside of Sydney in New South Wales. So that's on the East Coast. I was more inland in what they call Southwest Sydney. And it's a very low to middle sort of socioeconomic area in just a tiny little three-bedroom red brief house that was built in the 70s with my younger sister, mum and dad. And my parents stayed together the whole time. I was very fortunate with that. They had their problems, of course. They were very strict with me. So mum yeah. particularly was, had a very Catholic upbringing, still does. And that really directed her in the way that she parented us. So she loved us, but very strict. So you said your mom did. What about your dad? My dad was Catholic, but he really didn't care for it much. He used to drop us off to church okay. and either, you know, sit by the river. There was a way he came to live where I am now. Or he sat in the car and read the paper or whatever. So he wasn't really all that into it. But he was German, grew up in the, he was a child in World War II. And my mom was even younger in World War II. She was born in the war. Or just before, actually. And both of them ended up in Australia in 1952. He was 20 and she was 10. And uh, they met many years later when he was 40 and she was 30. So they both had their own deal of trauma and, and things to work. So I actually used to be scared of my dad because he was a very big man, huge hands, really tall. When I was a kid, he was also really big with his very heavy German accent. That I actually didn't know I was there until I was the late teens. And my friend said to me, Leon, I can't understand your dad. And I said, why not? And I said, because of his accent. Like, my dad's got an accent. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's yeah. fascinating. So your parents both left Germany. My mom came from Malta. Malta. Yeah. And, you know, as an I'm American, I have no idea where that is. Uh, Malta is... A tiny little island in the Mediterranean Sea, kind of in between, just above Italy. Oh, really? Oh, I think I yeah. did know that, actually. Probably saw it in a beautiful. James Bond movie or something. Yeah, yes. Um, beautiful place to visit. <laughs> that's a fascinating background. And so you, your mom was strict Catholic mm -hmm. and at least attempted to raise you that way. Did it stick? She nope. Still, she still tries. Right now, I'm far more spiritual. So I believe there's a God. I believe 
And some people think it's a bit weird, but I actually do believe in past life. And, you know, there's something bigger than us out there, but I do not believe in the church. I can't handle the way the church handles things to keep it nice. I just don't, I just don't feel, I just don't feel it when I go there. I have my own way of connecting to God. Everybody has to have their own, right? Whatever they believe. And I respect it. However it is. When you grew up there in New South Wales or whatever you called it, just outside of Sydney, you, they have the same kind of school system, I assume, you know, so elementary school, junior high and high school. I think we, I actually don't even know what that means to be honest with you, even though I've seen it on all the movies, but the way we call it is primary school, which is from the age of five to 12 and then high school, uh-huh. which is 13 to one to leave school. There's not one in the middle then. No. Some, oh, some schools call, okay, yeah. call, yeah, year 11 and 12, senior high school, but basically it's high school. <laughs> huh. Yeah, because generally here there's the primary or elementary school, which sounds about the same, and then there's middle school or junior high for two oh. or three years, and then high school for either three or four. So, oh, I so always three separate what ju- schools. Yeah, I always wondered what junior mm-hmm. high was. Okay, so how old are you <laughs> when you're in junior high? Uh, 12 to 14 or 15. Okay. Yeah. It's a little, little bit different. So when you're in high school there in Australia, were you like a popular kid? Were you the cheerleader jock? No way. Just, just a wallflower? Definitely a wallflower. I had two best friends and I actually had a lot of friends, but I was on the peripheral of all of those groups. I was very shy. I was actually, my best friend was, her name's Debbie and I've known her since uh, we were eight years old and we're still best friends now. And I had another friend, Simone, we're still friends too. I've known her since we were 11 and we were known as Debbie's friend. So I wasn't actually known as Leanne. It was Debbie's friend. Okay. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're Debbie's friend. I was like, yeah. <laughs> So I was very quiet. I kind of, she was very vivacious and out there and gorgeous and all the boys loved her. And I was just this very shy, kind of scared. I don't know how to talk to boys. So I withdrawn. Anxious, I used to go, my mom took me to many doctors for stomach aches and pains and heart palpitations. But back then anxiety wasn't a known thing. So I never went to a counselor or anything like that. It was always just thought of as being a physical condition, which of course came back as nothing was wrong with her. Yeah. You know, I, uh, people don't ever believe me when I tell them this because my personality now is I'm a pretty big personality, but I was so shy in junior high or middle school. Mm. Like if I talked to a girl, even if it wasn't like talking to a girl, just talking to another person who happens to be a female, I would get all splotchy red and I would like start sweating. And I mean, I just couldn't do it. And that changed in about eighth grade when this girl named Stacy, who became my very first girlfriend ever, she turned around in type class and she said, Hey Tom. And I'm like, you know, I got all scared. And, (laughs) and she turns out she was talking to me because she liked my best friend Lane. Oh no! (laughs) And and, and all of a sudden the pressure was off. I'm like, Oh wait, so I can just talk to her as a human being and not like worry about her being a girl. I mean, I don't know if any other guy does that, but that's how I was in, in in eighth grade. So, 
Anyway, but that kind of helped me come out of my shell. So I will be forever grateful to Stacy. I think I came out of my shell after I got divorced. <laughs> oh, there like, you go. Okay, safe for me to talk to other men and, you know, not feel guilty. I don't know why I have to feel guilty. Just talking is okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can't wait to get to that part of the story then. So let's learn about your ex. So we've learned a little bit about your, your growing up years. We're going to call your ex Richard. I'm assuming that we're, that's not his real name for everybody no. listening, but I will say that name was chosen on purpose. Anybody who wants to figure out a nickname for Richard that is not Richie, you can figure out that, that nickname, but we're going to call him Richard for today's show. Where did Richard grow up? He grew up pretty much around the corner from me, five, 10 minutes away. His parents were divorced. He had a bit of a, quite a turbulent childhood, actually. So he had his own trawler to deal with and quite a lot, really, I would say, from my perspective now. I didn't understand where he was coming from at all at that young age, because when we met, I was only 17 and he was 19. So we were quite young. And so did you know him then all your growing up years or... No, we actually met through a mutual friend. Actually, my best friend and his best friend were dating and we went to his best friend's 21st birthday party. Okay. So it was actually really interesting. Let me tell you this one. Okay. So yeah, we're sitting that's at, where we're um, going. That's, we want to okay. know how you met. So let's hear yeah. that story. It's kind of funny. We were sitting at Denny's, so the restaurant and the tables were quite wide apart. Next to me, I had my ex-boyfriend, who was also his friend, but I hadn't met through them. We'd only dated for two months. On the other side of me was my current boyfriend. We met at a Jimmy Bales concert, and we only lasted also only two months. But in front of me was my future husband, and I didn't realize when he'd been watching me all night, and I leant over the table to grab some salt or something, and he had been watching me drinking. And he dropped his drink all down his shirt because he was looking down my top. <laughs> <laughs> so he's checking you out. He's looking down your shirt, and that's when he and he pours his drink down his. Yep, and bath. I was right. so oblivious. I felt the drink drop, but I didn't realize why. Well, told me months later that's what actually happened. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I thought so. So then, when I broke up with. The guy I was with, my friends then proceeded to, you know, match my house and, you know, that's where it all hey, started. So your friend calls you up and says, hey, Richard's checking out your bosoms. You want to go out with him? Yeah, she invited us over to watch a scary movie and he did the whole, you know, I'm sitting down. I hate scary movies. I was sitting there going, oh my God, I hate me. And he just goes, oh, it's all playing. He puts his arm around uh, Oh, <laughs> nice. Very smooth. Well played, Richard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you were 17 at that point. Is that what you said when you met? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I was still at school. So you're still in school. He's graduated. Is he in college or anything like that at that point? No, he was working at that point, straight out of school into a job, stayed in that job most of his life. And now he has his own business in the same industry. He's doing very well for himself in that regard, which is nice. Yeah. Good. Well, good for him, I guess. Yeah. I'll reserve judgment whether or not I'm happy for him based on how the rest of the story goes. But the fact that we're calling him Richard leads me to believe that I'm not going to like him. So you guys meet, you're watching a scary movie. He's got his arm around you, you know, being the strong, I'm going to protect you from the boogeyman guy. So you guys meet at this Denny's. Is it the same Denny's we have here? Is, do they I have like so. moons over my hammy and stuff like that? 
I think so, but we don't have it anymore. Well, if we do, I've never, I haven't seen one for a long time, but I believe it is the same sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Where I live now, it's more Waffle House. We don't have a lot of Denny's. There are a few of them around, but it's more Waffle House. It's a horrible place. But <laughs> Fair uh, enough. Okay. But so you guys meet and then it was, you say a month or two later that you broke up with your then current boyfriend. Then your friend calls you up and says, Hey, this guy likes you. Richard likes you. And you guys go to this house or someone's house to watch this scary movie. At that point, I mean, you know who he was. So were you excited to kind of see where it was going to go or was it more of a, oh crap, I guess I'll go. <laughs> no, I was looking forward to it. I, and because I was so shy, I really had to have a lot of confidence in myself. Sounds a bit crazy, but I basically went out with people because they liked me. Because I didn't really give myself the opportunity to ask oneself, do I like them? I actually kind of felt irrelevant. It was, oh, oh, they like me. Somebody actually likes me. This is nice. It's like FOMO. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, because I'd seen all my girlfriends at school, you know, date and had all these guys liking them and wanting to be with them and all of that, and nobody liked me. Although my friends told me much later, like, are you serious, man? There are heaps of guys that liked you. I'm like, well, why the fuck didn't anyone tell me? I didn't know about it. You know, I just <laughs> thought I was this horrible, ugly, uninteresting, boring teenager. So when someone showed me interest, I was, like, okay, I'm, I'll give you a go. I'll be interested too. It's that really. Interesting. Okay. So Richard is showing interest and you're reciprocating, whether you were interested or just accepting, whatever we want to say that. That's were you, a good so are you instantly or very quickly thereafter? Was it an exclusive relationship pretty quickly? Yeah, very quickly. We went to then another friend's mutual 21st. And that was our first official date. It wasn't too much longer after that. And to this day, I'm not really sure what happened, but he had a dummy speak, got angry about something and he was out the front, hooning around in his car, driving fast and being self. And I don't know what happened or why, but I think to myself now, well, why did I even go on another date with him when he was behaving like that? But yeah. clearly is a big red flag that something's wrong. Anyway, he was still in, interested in me, so I accepted that behavior, and we just started dating straight away. There was no questions asked, really. Wow, that's interesting. So how long did you date before, I mean, let's stop short of an engagement story, but how, how long did this courtship happen? Not very long, really. He was madly in love with me, so he actually asked me to marry him when I was only 18, and I said no. Said, are you serious? We're way too young. Good like, for you. Very... Thank God, right? <laughs> it gets worse. Yeah, that's yeah, the we... end of the show right there. I said no, and <laughs> there you go. That's it. <laughs> but, you know, we fought a lot because of my constantly cut bringing, you know, sex before marriage was a sin. But, you know, I'm human and I was curious, and we went there very early on. And then I felt intense guilt about that. So I said, no, we can't do that again. We did guilt. No, we did guilt. And he just didn't get it at all. So we fought about it a lot. I cried about it a lot. I just couldn't, I couldn't hold my ground. I couldn't just go yes or no or on the fence all the time. And I think that's really what set us up for failure. 
now looking back because I understand that my indecisiveness led him to not knowing where he stands either. He knew what he wanted. You know, he was a 19 year old, very well-known guy. So he knew exactly what he wanted, but because I didn't, he was getting very mixed messages. We had lots of fights about it and I was never, ever able to set a clear boundary from there on. How interesting. Okay. So I have questions because I didn't ask about his upbringing in terms of religion, but I take it that religion wasn't a big deal in his life or. No. No. Okay. Okay. So you said early on you gave in, I think is the way you put it, that you ended up having sex with Richard and then you felt guilt and said no. And then you said, yes, was this, you know, once a week, once a month, how frequently was this cycle repeating? Good question. I mean, we only could see each other, you know, privately on the weekend, but I was able to go to his house. Certainly wasn't happening at my house, but I think <laughs> I, I would probably, yeah, it was probably well, way too often, probably monthly. Like I would go, okay, we can do this. I can do this. And it's not that I didn't enjoy it. I did enjoy it, but the guilt and the emotion yeah. of it all was what really just caused me so much heartache. Like it was very regular. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's really fascinating to me. So you're going through these cycles, you're dating for a while. He asked you to marry him. You say no, mm -hmm. but you continue dating. Mm -hmm. So saying no didn't end the relationship. So let's pick oh. up the story right there. He understood. Yeah. We are too young. So we just kept on dating and it wasn't an official proposal. There was no ring or anything like that. It was just, oh. you know, let's get married. <laughs> you know, very young. And then I was, I did go to university or college for first year after school and I wanted to be a social worker. At that point, I didn't even know what a psychologist was. So, but I got to okay. study first. Yeah. I got to study first year psychology. That was a prerequisite before you could do social work. So I discovered it then. I didn't put a lot of effort into uni because I was distracted by him and our relationship and what am I doing with my life and all of that sort of stuff. And then towards the end of the year, this is the engagement story, we were shopping and it was a jewelry shop that had a big sale on and I said, how about we go in there and oh, just check out some rings? Oh. We bought a ring and we were engaged. That's how we got engaged. <laughs> wow. How much time had passed from the first mention of marriage till now? Maybe six months. So I was still oh, so, only I was still only nineteen. Yeah. So the too young excuse it should have still been valid if you had wanted to, but hey, we're here. Let's buy a ring. Yeah, that's what we do. And then we decided to go and celebrate by going to our local pizza hut. That really shows you how young we were. And, um, hey, no one out pizzas the hut. <laughs> That's true. We loved it back then. And on the way there, I felt really sick and we actually had to pull over and I had to throw up. And then we, I felt better after that and we kept going. And now, knowing what I know, that was my body saying, don't do this. But at the time, I was just oblivious to <clears throat> my physical reaction to what was going on. Divorce doesn't have to be complicated. Our Divorce.com's three-step procedure provides a simple and affordable process that you can follow at your own pace. Save thousands by visiting OurDivorce.com today. 
So just so we have the chronology of this, what year was that? Where are we in the timeline? Whew, okay. So I've got ironing on it. Would it be 1990? Now you know how old I am. <laughs> A long time ago. Yep. So. so you were 19 in 1990. So you're a few years younger than me. So there you go. I'm still the grandpa on this call. All right. So it's 1990. You get a ring and there was no get on your knee. There's no special romantic story, like a waterfall involved or anything. Just say, hey, here's a ring. Did you immediately set a date? Pretty much. Yeah. It took us a little while to coordinate the church and the find the reception place and all of that. But we got married in May, 1992, which was just a few months before my 21st birthday. Okay. I have to ask. <laughs> What day? May the 9th. You will not believe what I'm about to tell you. <laughs> tell me. I got married May 9th, 1992. That was my <laughs> wedding date for my first marriage. Oh my God. I am totally serious. Can you believe that? <laughs> That's hilarious. So totally, yeah. you know, 15 hours away on the other side of the world. Yeah, so um, I would have got married. We're, we're before both you getting married. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> That's amazing. That's, that is amazing. Yeah, May 9th, 1992. Mm -hmm. Wow. We both made a big mistake that day. All right. So, all right. So you're, you get married. That's great. And did you get married in a Catholic church then? We did. We did. And before we got married, my father, who was a man of very little words and did not show his emotion hardly at all. Stopped me at the front door as we were on our way to the car and looked at me and said, Leanne, it's not too late. Whoa. So I take it then that not everybody was happy about this or was he just he the only one? I think many people weren't happy. We were too young. We fought a lot. Yeah, there was many signs that I was not going to be happy in this marriage. <sighs> Later on, I realized that part of my wanting to leave was I thought I was going to get some freedom. I was going to be an adult. Yeah. And I went from my parents and their home to my home, which was more like his home because it was, you know, what he wanted, how he wanted things. Okay. Yeah. Mm. I think we all, when we're teenagers, we can't wait till we move out. We can do whatever we want. But in reality, it's you yeah. work, you do mm -hmm. laundry, cook dinner and go to sleep and then you die. Yeah. I mean, that's it. That's yeah, being yeah. a grown up. That's right. You have so, to have enough money to pay the bills and go on a holiday every now and again. Yeah. Yeah. If you're lucky. <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. So you had the same, that's it. I'm glad to know that people, that kids in Australia have the same, you know, wrong beliefs about mm -hmm. adulthood. Oh yeah. Okay. So you're 20 then when you got married, okay. give or take, right? Yep. All right. And he's 20 and he's working in whatever job he had for a long time. You had stopped going to university. Yes. I believe that I needed to quit uni so I could get a job. So we could afford to get a mortgage and get a house. And nobody challenged me on that decision. Nobody sat me down and said, hold me and you might. This is going to stifle your career. Do you think this is a good idea? No conversations. It was just like, oh, well, 
apparently I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Cause you know, it's an interesting thing because I've never been in a position. If you go listen to last week's episode, it's called Sid and Nancy get married mm-hmm. and Kelly, the guest, she dropped out of high school. So it wasn't dropping out of university, but she dropped out of high school and within the first year or so of their marriage just felt trapped because yeah. she, she had no plan B is the way she put it. Yeah. And, and I think you were maybe a little, well, I know you were two or three years older than she was when that happened, but still she, you didn't really have a plan B either. It was no. work this job to help pay for a house. But in the meantime, Richard's the one making the most of the money. Yeah. And so you're just, you're, you're along for the ride almost, which I don't want to say it that way, but is that yeah, how you just, felt? Probably. I mean, I was only earning 250 bucks a week back then. <laughs> it's a long time ago. Yeah. But, you know, I fell into a job with, actually with his mother's ex-partner, so not his father. So I fell into a job in real estate with a, a tyrant, a man who could be absolutely wonderful and very supportive, but he could lose it and all the staff would be crying. So I had my home staff where I would get a lot of negativity and then the word staff where I'd pop us saying, and actually I realized that my, that Richard had actually picked up some of that stuff from this guy who was Damon's mum for a couple of years. <coughs> and there was one time I, you know, I was quite slim. I'm, you know, I'm not fat now, but I was quite slim back then. I was really slim back then. And I used to cop things like, oh, you look like you're pregnant or this or that, you know, really horrible stuff. And my boss once said to me in front of the whole staff, oh God, I I feel actually embarrassed to even tell you, I will tell you. He said, I don't know what's bigger, your ass or your gut. And I was like a size 10, which is probably a six in America. And I lost my shit. I know. And it was probably the first time that I really lost it in front of everyone. And I was like. Fucking dare you. I have to cop this shit from my husband. I'm not going to cop it from you. And I just went off my head and, of course, ran to the toilets and cried. And his wife was working there as well. She came to me and hugged me and, you know, all of that. And then a few days after that, he said to me, you know, I'm sorry. And then he asked me to be his PA and he never, ever yelled at me again. Yeah, didn't yell at me. He treated me with absolute respect after that. And it was such a lesson that holy shit when I stand up to myself for myself people listen and people respect me and I need to do this more often wow that's a great lesson to learn it was a sad way to have to learn it unfortunately oh, but still my god yeah it was definitely well so let's keep talking about your marriage so you're married to this guy you're talking about how he gave you you know, he wasn't respectful because you just said you took bad shit at home or what'd you say? I have to cop this. How did you say that? I cop this shit for my husband. It. Yeah, probably. That's, <laughs> that's exactly. That's but a, yeah, something a, like I've that. I've never heard that term. Um, oh, okay. Oh, that anyway, must be a very Aussie term. To cop it. Uh, yeah. So, so your husband's giving you a bunch of shit about your weight. About my weight, about what I wore, about how I did my hair, about the type of food that I bought, about the way I cooked. I didn't clean good enough. I didn't have sex enough. I wasn't good at sex. I was, well, well, well. yeah. Never ending. <laughs> Never. And it sounds like it was from day one. Yes. Yeah. 
But then on the flip side, I love you so much. You're amazing. You're beautiful. You're everything. So I was in this constant turmoil of, oh, do you love me or do you hate me? I don't know. I just don't know what's going on in my world. But you know, that's work. an interesting, that's to me, my, my dad once told me that love and hate are the two most closely related emotions. Wow. People think that they're opposites, but they're actually the two most closely because it requires you to respect, you have to respect someone to hate them that's very and, true. or have enough respect for them as a human to hate them. The opposite of both love and hate is indifference. I can see how you're, how Richard might have loved and hated you, I guess, at certain points. And I don't mean to harp on this part of it, but I'm going to go back to the sex because you brought that up earlier. So pre-marriage, you were guilty and feeling bad about it and everything. Post-marriage, did that guilt continue? What, you just said that sex wasn't happening enough, or at least in Richard's mind. Yes. Tell us about that part of the The arguments. Montanese of it all kind of got lost. The romance of it got lost and it turned into this expectation. And one thing I always say to my clients is if someone in the relationship is expecting, sex is not going to happen because no one wants to do it when the other person demands it of you. There's no love in that. There's no, oh yeah, I want you. It's like, do you even care what I think? Do you even care what I want? It's all about you. And so for me, that's how it really felt. It's all about you and, and what you want. And yes, we, I still managed to enjoy it when I allowed myself to get into the swing of it, the mood of it all, but it took a lot of effort on my part to really get my head into the game. It wasn't nice in that regard. So, and I'm fascinated by this and I'll tell you why here in just a minute, but how often was it happening as opposed to how often would he want it to happen? Okay. It was probably happening two or maybe not three, probably once or twice, uh, maybe three times in the beginning a week. He would have liked it every day. Yeah. But then as I got more and more distant from him, then it was once a week and then it was... A little bit less than that that I often gave in because I couldn't cope with the silent treatment. So I tell you that, or I ask that question because my, my marriage, my second marriage was very similar. It was very highly sexually charged in the beginning, you know, three, four times a week. And I was good with that. I mean, my first marriage, it was nothing like that. So I thought I'd died and gone to heaven, (laughs) but then, um, it, very quickly reduced, devolved, whatever verb you want to use, became more like once every couple of weeks. And then it was once every three or four weeks. And I was chastised anytime I even brought it up. I couldn't even try to make overtures. I couldn't say anything. I couldn't try to put my arm. I mean, nothing. It was like I was a pariah in my own home. And, And I remember asking if we should get some counseling. It's like, look, we clearly have this massive difference in sexual desire, sexual needs, whatever. We should talk to a counselor. And all she said was, no, all they're going to tell us is to draw a bath and light some candles. We've tried all that, so we're not doing it. Oh, no. There's so much more to it than that. So much more to it. I know. But that was Aww. that. And so in our, the, I talk about how we were married for almost 18 years and we had 14 years of what I call a great marriage, mm-hmm. even though there was 
we had constantly always had this underlying there was something wrong sexually that we couldn't resolve and i'm not going to say we didn't try but there was nothing i mean i couldn't say anything do anything talk about it there was nothing we could talk about because she would be offended by it so oh. i basically just had to stop asking and i just i knew the marriage was over the day that i she came to me and she actually said i'm surprised you haven't said anything because it had been like three or four weeks and i said well, I've just come to the conclusion that neither one of us is ever going to be sexually satisfied for the rest of our lives. Oh, God. Um, That's hard. And it, we, she started her second affair about two weeks after that. So you have this, and in, in my marriage, it was just a sexual problem, but it sounds like in your marriage, it was a sexual issue. It was a respect issue for sure. And it just never got, it never, it sounds like it never got good ever. No. I think it was very much also an immaturity issue. Both of us were children trying to be adults and we didn't know how. We were both, mm -hmm. our inner child was very much in charge of us. You know, he would withdraw if he didn't get what he wanted and so I couldn't cope with that. So my little inner child would go running up to him and, you know, make it all better. I'm sorry. No, come on. Pacify him. And... When I didn't get what I wanted, I cried. <laughs> I was just like, oh, and he would actually pay attention when I cried. So it was a strategy that worked, but mm. I hated myself for it. Man, why do I do that? If I was angry, I cried. If I was sad, I cried. I just couldn't get my thoughts across in a way that he could hear. I just didn't have the skill for it back then. Um, we actually did wow. go to a couple of counsellors. As well. One of them that I loved, he hated. He said that she was only in it for the money. Okay. And she was very direct and really good with both of us. And the other one we went to, I can't even remember the rest of the session, but the only thing I remember that she said to me was, Yeah, you just gotta have sex with him and everything will be okay. I was like, What? Are you fucking crazy? Like, have you not seen the rest of the shit that's going on here? Oh. Anyway, so that we never went back for her. But he really took that on board. That's what I had to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, that, he would have gotten what he wanted, but he probably still, like you say, he would have called your names and belittled you. So, yeah. Okay. So somewhere along the way, you had a couple of kids though. Yes. I always wanted children. I loved children. So it wasn't until I was 28 when I fell pregnant. So we'll together quite a while. That's the one area, if you actually wanted children younger, but I always said, no way, we got married really young. There's no way I'm having children real young either. So we were very fortunate. I pretty much went off the field and fell pregnant instantly. <laughs> so my son is now 22. He's an amazing young man. And then that's when I started university, actually, because oh. my, I went back. My son was one year old. He was like the perfect baby. I was so bored. I was at that point hiring videos, seven weekly videos to watch a movie every day when he slept because I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to do now. He was just beautiful. So I started uni when he was one and then I fell pregnant again pretty much straight away and I had my daughter. And so it took me a long time because I was then, I was doing it offline, not offline, sorry. I didn't have real internet, wasn't even around back then to do online courses. So I was doing a distance education. 
So they would send me all my notes. I would have my two babies and I'd be studying like crazy. My husband hated it that I was studying. The reason I went back actually was because of him. Because he kept telling me there's something wrong with you, there's something wrong with you, there's something wrong with you. And in my mind, only thing wrong with me is you. Finally, I went to see a psychologist to pacify him. And I loved it. And I came home and I said, the reason I'm so, I didn't tell him everything, but the reason I'm so unhappy is because I hate my life. I've just been working these shitty jobs all these last 10 years. I'm going back to uni and I'm going to study psychology. And his words were, that's not what was supposed to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that's not how I plan to control you for the rest of your life. <laughs> And unfortunately, I don't know why, but I never went back for another session. So I was, I don't know why. Huh. I just didn't realize, I, I naively thought that one session and that amazing decision I made was going to help me. But studying a very difficult degree with two babies and an extremely unsupportive husband, I then dropped into depression and anxiety and I was crying more and I was yelling and oh my god I have no idea how I passed the course yeah she determination really that's how I got yeah. through one question I've never asked anyone in real life or on this show and but I've always been curious you're you're in this what I'm going to term miserable marriage you know that it's a miserable marriage and you're not happy with life you're crying you're yelling he's calling you names he's belittling you yet you choose to have two children no. do you understand why? why no i don't i think kind of go back to that kind of woo part of me now i think those children needed to have me and him as their father because i i don't think i ever actually considered leaving reforming it was after the children were born that I started thinking, I'm going to get out of here. And it may go back to, you know, my, my childhood belief systems that I didn't trust in who I was. I didn't think I was good enough. He told me also that, oh, no one will ever want you. You're not going to survive without me, that sort of stuff. And I probably believe that. But... I was really a shell of who I am now. Like I did not think for myself at all. I just kind of followed at school. I followed my friends, definitely a follower. And the leader in me came out as I studied, as I did loads of personal development. I would like, Tom, I would never have this conversation with you 10 years ago. I wouldn't have even reached out yeah. to you. No way in hell. Well, I'm glad that you've come out of your shell and I'm glad you reached out. Me too. Well, <laughs> it's a much happier place to right. meet. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's keep the story going. So you've got the kids, you're in this depressed state, you're studying like crazy. And when did you graduate? 2007. And it took me, okay. you know, seven years to get that part of the degree. And then I was an intern for another two years. And it was at the end of that, I had to, sorry, during that two-year period, I had to get a job and I went to a naturopath, actually, because I didn't accept, even after all those years, didn't even look at myself as being depressed. Oh. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> um, 
And I went and saw a naturopath because I wanted some sort of support. I didn't want to take medication. And she offered me a job. She said, Leanne, I can, I was sitting, literally sitting on her naturopath's table, yeah, the little big thing I do, and crying my eyes out about how shit my life was and no one was ever going to give me a job because look at me. And she goes, Well, oh, there's something in you. I can really see your passion and I really can feel your energy and I would love for you to come and see clients here at this clinic. And I was like, what? <laughs> nice. Yeah. And I did not take that job because a week later I got offered another job in a very large service with unemployed people who were never going to work, like the really difficult clients. And there was a big team of counsellors there and psychologists. So I thought, okay, I need to go there because I need the support. I can't do this on my own. And that was a fabulous decision. But her belief in me, when I was at my absolute worst, just kind of set me free. And I was like, holy shit, if I can be here falling my eyes out that I am a lost cause and you offer me a job, then there's something in that, right? Yes. It was one of those defining moments. So Leanne, I'm going to say that, you know, you've heard that, and I think it's true. We're all our own worst critic. And I think you personify that statement probably more than anyone I've ever met. You thought you were this horrible person in high school and all the girls are going, no, you had heaps of guys that liked you. And then, and in every moment, every, so far, every moment of your story has been you thinking so poorly of yourself, but somebody else seeing something in you that you didn't see in yourself. Even at school, actually many years later, we were at a school reunion and one of the girls came up to me and said, oh my God, I so wanted to hang out with you and your friends at school. You guys were the cruel girls. And I was like, what do you mean we were the cruel girls? I didn't realize that other people saw our group and the cool girls, I said, well, you could have just come and talked to us. We wouldn't know. We were very open. We weren't like, you know, the main bitches or anything like that. There were other girls that did that role, but we were actually seen <laughs> as the cool girls. And I was clueless about that. Like, wow. So I oh, have lived cool. my life in this kind of veil of insecurity. You would be a bit shocked at, as to how much money I was spent on therapy and coaching and courses. And it's 100% all worth it. I would not take any of that back. Sure. But yeah, I'm, you know, I'm glad that you did the therapy and all, but I'm sad that you spent so many years not believing in yourself when it seems like everybody else did. Yeah, that's true. That's a lesson for those listening right now is they can think about, you know, maybe you're doing a little bit better than you think you are. Did you know you can get divorced without hiring an attorney? Let OurDivorce.com guide you through our three-step process for a simple flat fee. Visit OurDivorce.com to learn more and get started today. Let's wind the marriage down. I mean, unless there's a story you need to tell us during the marriage, because so far what we've heard is that he, that Richard, is living up to his nickname. He's, I mean, he's a dick. And he's, he calls you names. He belittles you. He doesn't respect you. Clearly. It sounds like he tried to control everything in your marriage and in your home and everything else and was upset when he couldn't. Was there anything else or did you just reach a point where that was the end? There was something right at the very end because I didn't believe in myself. I thought that I needed a really good excuse to leave. You know, I was actually after the kids, I was at that point where I was suicidal. I was having 
thoughts of driving my car into a truck. But I have high empathy for other people. I thought, I can't do that because that'll just devastate the truck driver. So I'll drive into a tree, right? And I'm not, I am one of these people that gets really sleepy when I drive at night. It's like, oh no, rocking the baby. I just want to go. So I thought I could just drive into a tree at night and no one would know. No one knew. I didn't tell anybody. Recently, I was published in a magazine and I showed my mum the story and it mentioned in there and she was like, oh my God, Leanne, why didn't you tell me? I just didn't want to tell anybody. So I would fantasize about that or running away from home. And then I would think, oh, do I take both kids with me? Then Richard would be really upset because he loves the kids. So do I leave one here? But who will I leave? That can't be fair. I can't leave one. And, and I, so my head would just be going crazy with these escape kind of friends. But you were done. I mean, you're, you have checked out of this relationship at this point and just trying to yeah. figure out how to get out of it. Yeah. One way or the other. Yep. And then came his 40th birthday. And I thought, right, I'm just going to put everything into this. This is the last chance for me to show him that I care about him. I love him. I think I love him. I don't know. I'll do everything. And I arranged this beautiful surprise birthday party for him at our place. And the night before the party, we were both in bed and his phone dinged. So he was fast asleep. So I picked up his phone to have a quick look because he had his own business on it to check. Maybe it was someone calling in sick or something, right? And it wasn't. It was, we, our son had a little mini motorbike and it was for sale. And I didn't know it was for sale. Well, what the hell? Why is he selling our son's motorbike? I didn't know it was for sale. So I started flicking through the phone to try and see how long this had been going for. And I discovered two messages. Not threads, because back then I didn't have threads. It was, I have to go from here to here, from here, to track down the conversations with two people. They were in men's names that he was having explicit conversations with. But I couldn't tell because there was, it wasn't so specific that it mentioned body parts as such, but I knew that was sexual nature. It's really hard to describe, but I didn't know if he was talking to a male or a female. And I came into my office and I actually wrote it all down and I wrote down the phone numbers. And then I thought, well, I can't do anything about this. Tomorrow is his 40th birthday. God, I'm feeling emotional thinking about it. Tomorrow <laughs> is his 40th birthday and I have spent a shit ton of money on his party and I'm going to have that fucking party and then I'm going to end it. And I didn't say a word, but in the morning he looked at me and he said, watch on. And I was like. I was still lying in bed. I think I must have just been staring at the ceiling. I don't know, but he knew instantly all of it went done. I saw your messages on the phone and went done. And happy um, birthday. And I don't want to do it like that, but you can see it. I couldn't hold it in. Yeah. Um, I'd organized for him to go out with his friends so I could organize the party. And I said, just go out, happy day. We're not talking about this today. And we had, he went, I had a fantastic party. He got drunk really early on. And like 11 o'clock, he was sleeping. I partied on with all his friends. <laughs> and yes, I got really drunk too. It was very much needed at that point. Yeah. Well, and not to stereotype, but you're also Australian. Oh, yeah, um, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to have a good party. You're going to have a good party. <laughs> yeah. So you're 40, you're 38, he's 40 years old. You've discovered these 
online texts or messages or whatever they are. Do you, did you ever find out? Did were they physical was, as well? Yeah. Uh, we always denied it, but one of them definitely was. I ran both the numbers the next day. Well, I might have been actually it was at work. I was at work with my colleague. That's right, crying my eyes out. And she ran them for me because I couldn't do it. And she said, they're both women. I thought, okay, well, that's, that was a relief. <laughs> Did she talk to them or just hear their voice and say, oh, they're, they're women? She had a little chat with them, but she didn't ask them too much. I just really wanted to know if they were doing I didn't want to know the details. And then, actually, you know what? I didn't even care. All I just needed the evidence. I just needed a reason in my own mind. My own unhappiness was not enough. Anyone listening, yeah. if you're as unhappy as I am and you're still married, just fucking get out. Not going to get any better. We were together for 20 years and it never got any better. So we were done. And it was a huge relief. Huge relief. And at yeah. this point, you're graduated, you're working, so you're making money. So it wasn't mm. that you were as trapped. But yes. So, and I know, as most people know, I, we do, I do have a short call with each guest before I, we record, and I have a brief outline of this. And if I recall correctly, the divorce itself wasn't a, a, an event of any, you know, there's nothing to really talk about other than you got divorced. Yeah, it was extremely amicable. I was very lucky in that regard. Um, he didn't want to get divorced. But we went to the, this is actually illegal, but we went to the same solicitor, the lawyer, and said, we know what we want. Here it is. He paid her the money and we found out that she actually got fired. <laughs> we believe that she got fired because you're not supposed to have the same legal representative in a divorce. She shouldn't have done it. And she knew she shouldn't have done it. She said to us, I'm not supposed to do this. Well, I know that if you're here in the U.S., if you're represented, if the attorney can only represent one of the two parties in the yes, divorce. Exactly. And so if both parties agree, I have a close a friend who's an attorney who's told me this, that he'll have couples come to him all the time and say, hey, we can agree on everything. Just write it down on this piece of paper. We'll go file it. And he says, well, as an attorney, I have to represent one of you, yes. which means I also have to advise the other one that I don't represent them and that they should go get another attorney to review it, make sure that I didn't hide anything in here. Yeah. And that's when problems begin. Let's pick up the story there because so now your divorce, you're, you both agree, you get that of the solicitor fired and you're divorced. How, yes. And did the relationship, I mean, he didn't want to get a divorce, but he obviously agreed to stuff. How, were you friendly throughout the process? I tried to be. But it was just, a, there was a lot of resentments, a lot of anger. I was still pleasing, trying to please. So I did things to try and make things better. Often it didn't work. Often it made things worse. Took me a long time to set my boundaries and go, you know what? I don't have to put his knees before mine because you know, I thought if I did that, it would make things easier. Always did not work. <laughs> we tried. You know, we tried really hard. Wasn't always successful because of all the emotion associated with it. But we really tried for the sake of the kid to, to do the right thing. Yeah. I'll give yeah. him that. He absolutely loves the kids and will do anything for them. He's a bit distant with them and all of that, but he tries his best. How's their relationship now? Well, my son lives with his dad. Yeah. He's got a much bigger house on him. He's got more space there. 
But it's uh-huh. literally around the corner. I can walk over there. And my daughter's actually in the army now. So she's doing her own thing, living her life. But, you know, they both get on well with him. It's not as close as what it is with me because I really encourage them to talk about their feelings and ask them lots of questions and all of that. And we never really grew up in that respect. So you're divorced and you're 38 or 39, yeah. maybe? Yeah. When yeah. this all took place. When did that happen? 38. Oh, would have been. I was born in 1971. <laughs> I was 38. What year is that? So 2009-ish? Yeah. Yes, that would have been, uh, yes, that's right, because it was a year after my father passed away, which, okay. by the way, it was also a contributing factor because, A, my husband couldn't support me through my grief. He just didn't know how to. And B, it was almost like it set me free in a way, emotionally. You know, I love my father very much. And came to realize that he wasn't a big, scary man when I was an adult. He was just a big, softy and a big, very funny, which is beautiful. But it was almost like I didn't. I guess maybe there was a part of me that saw mum and dad stuck together through thick and thin and I shouldn't get divorced or the whole divorcing for sims sort of thing. But when my dad died and it kind of made me grow up a little bit, I started to think differently and got my first tattoo and all of that sort of stuff. So... Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm a big yeah. fan of tattoos here, so. Yeah. What is that? It's a dragonfly, a dragonfly huh? and a lotus flower. Nice. It's time to glow up, right? Because you're divorced. You're starting over, kind yeah. of. What's happened since? I mean, that's now been 12, 13 years, right? Or 14 yeah. years. Oh, amazing. I absolutely found myself. So that's when all the therapy started and coaching and all of that sort of stuff. And I really dug deep with everything that I was doing. And, you know, so Richard was the only guy I'd ever been with up until 38. And I went through that phase. I think you, what did you name it yesterday? The hoe phase. The hoe phase. (laughs) I like to call it the the exploration phase or the getting to know yourself phase. (laughs) It wasn't that bad, really, but it was fun. And I gained so much confidence because, you know, guys can be really complimentary when they're not nasty. And I just got so many, so much validation, you know, just going on dates. I love the dating scene. I know so many people hate it, but I love it. And I love talking to people and getting to know them. And I didn't, you know, if I didn't like them, there was plenty of guys that I would never date, but I went out with them and we had dinner and a drink or whatever. We just talked and I kind of became a bit of a therapist to a lot of these guys. And I remember one guy rocked up, he was stoned. And I said, I asked him, are you stoned? And he said, yeah, I was just so nervous. I'm like, yeah, man, <laughs> don't do wow. that. Don't get stoned before you go on a day. And we were friends yeah, for a little while after either. that. Yeah. <laughs> so solid, but you're so beautiful and you're so much better than me. And blah, blah, blah. I was like, Jesus. If that's what I thought, I wouldn't be sitting here with you, mate. So that's when I actually started the whole idea of coaching people. And it started with coaching people around dating. Yeah, it was really fun. I did meet another amazing guy. We were like, soul connection. We were only together for a very short period of time. And he ended up getting killed in a car accident. I was absolutely devastated for a long time. And really, it's only been very recently that I, and I was like, you know what? We're always together. Doesn't matter. 
was really good. Anyway, that, that was a real catalyst for me and it kind of showed me that I can love. I can yeah. open up my heart and I can love and he liked me too and it was really beautiful. So that was really nice. Let me take you back here for just a minute. I have to ask a question. No one ever on this show has ever admitted to being have the hoe phase or the experimental phase. I may be just being ju- way too much open book here, Tom. <laughs> Oh, no, not too open for me, but, you know, there's some prudes that listen to this show. But here's the thing. You said during that period, you got a lot of validation. So what I want to do is kind of nip it in the bud right here. As a psychologist, I want you to talk about that for a minute because I don't think you meant that you got validation because you were having sex with different men. So why don't you talk through what you meant by getting validation during that period? I guess I meant to pushed past my own insecurities. So it was really about trusting myself, knowing that discovering who I am, hearing words that were completely the opposite of what I'd heard my whole life and learning how to accept who I am and what I actually wanted for myself. So really digging deep and acknowledging that men aren't scary after all. Mm-hmm. I can have a conversation with a guy as a friend and I don't have to feel bad about it in any way. Not all men just want sex. It's like, oh, that's a revelation. <laughs> that was yeah. So really it was about me honouring who I am and learning to love myself truly. And gaining the confidence to have real conversations like I am with you right now. And yeah. not actually giving a shit about what other people think. Perfect. Yeah. There you go. That I think is the key <laughs> to, I think that's the key. And I think as we get older, it's a little bit easier to give. Have you read Mark Manson's book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck? Yes. Yeah. I love that book mm-hmm. and it is, I highly recommend it to everyone listening right now. Yeah. Just, and you can get most of it for free on an, in an article on yeah. markmanson.net, but the subtle art of not giving a fuck is probably the best article I've read on learning how to live happily. Yeah, for so, sure. I mean, I gave oh, way too many fucks before. <laughs> That's why I was so stuck in not being able to be who I actually am. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, okay, let's find out where you are in life now. You're practicing. We already talked about that. You're a practicing psychologist and divorce coach. Are you remarried, dating? Tell us about that part of your life. So eight years ago, I wrote a list as to what I wanted in a relationship. I finally got clarity. Yay. (laughs) And I have um, my list. Okay, well, this, yeah. And it was a beautiful list. So I wrote down things like the basics, you know, where I'm liking to live. I don't like traveling. So close by, age group, all that sort of stuff, financially secure. But then I wrote things like, I want to feel a real heart connection to him. I want him to like my children. I want my children to like him. I want to like his children and for them to like me. So I went really deep and meaningful on this list. It was a whole typed page. And right at the end of it, I write, I'm ready for this now. And I just got oh, the chills. It was like, hey, 
I'm so excited for this. And one week later I met him. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And so that was back in 20, end of 2015. And we got married in 2018. And we're very happily married now. Well, congratulations. I am going to ask since I'm not going to lie. I think that the way you met and got engaged to Richard was kind of weak. So how did you meet oh. new guy? So we actually met online on a dating site called OKCupid. I think that's still around there. And we were a 93% match. And yeah, with that slide, you have to answer loads of questions. And he'd answered like 700 questions and I'd answered 300 or something. And so after that, I went back home and I started answering more questions because I wanted to see, oh, if I answer more, are we still going to be? And we were still a 93% match. And we used to take some of these questions with us on dates, like, all right, bring five questions each, and then we talk about them. Because they were really very personal questions. It was a really fun way of dating. Actually, after our first date, I came back home and said to my friend, oh, I don't think he's all that interested to be honest. And it was until the third or fourth date that we went, actually, yeah, I think it could work. So it was, it wasn't one of the, you know, crazy, oh my God, I want to jump in bed with you, sort of emotions all up here. It drives me crazy when I see people going, oh, it was like chemistry. Oh, oh, come on. Just give yourself and give the other person a go. This chemistry, I think bullshit, is just from the movies. It doesn't have to be like that. Chemistry dies and then the relationship dies. You've got to get to know the person first. Well, that's great. Yeah. Cause that's the whole seven year itch thing and everything else that you hear about. Well, I couldn't be happier for you. That sounds great. And if anybody's listening from OKCupid, okay feel free to call us for sponsorship opportunities. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you that is the single greatest advertisement for a dating app that I've ever heard because I hate them. I yeah. hate them. I, it's, it's just awful. I wish that there was a way to, yeah, I wish there was a better way. You know, as a, a person who's been through the shit that you've been through and as a psychologist, I imagine that you and a divorce coach, you have some great advice that you would like to share, probably way too much advice, but I've asked you to narrow it down to that one piece that you think that our people should hear. So what would you like our listeners to hear today? Boundaries are so important. So what that actually means is knowing exactly what you want and sticking to it. When we don't have boundaries, it means we're saying yes when we mean no, or saying no when we mean yes. And we're not being true and honest to ourselves or to anyone else. And not having clear boundaries, not even knowing what that meant or who I was, is what led to me having such a unhappy life before I got married to Grant. And having firm boundaries now, and sometimes I still wait because I still have some of that trauma from being told I can't have what I want, but Grant is really beautiful with that. And when it comes up, I actually say to him, oh my God, I'm just having this feeling that I've said no to you and you're actually not happy, but you're pretending to be it. And he's like, what? <laughs> no, I'm cool. You're allowed to say no. So I still struggle with that sometimes, but that's human and I can call it out now. But being able to be honest with yourself and what you want makes a huge difference to you as an individual and you personally 
And it's also extremely important with your children. Like when children walk all over us or don't respect you as a parent is because your boundaries are not solid and like, they're really pushing you. I'm not talking about children who are, you know, have solid sort of issues. We won't go into all of that. That's different. But yeah. for parents, it's important to have boundaries and not to go overboard with or giving them everything because that just yeah. creates little narcissistic children who believe the world revolves around them and it does not. And so given this kind of divorce podcast, there is a lot of parents out there who overcompensate. Then they cross all their boundaries because they feel guilty and they overcompensate with their kids and that's not helpful either. Really good boundaries in dating, in your new relationship with your family, with dropping friends, with letting go of family members who are toxic. Like Boundaries will save your life. Thank you for that advice. I couldn't agree more. In fact, I'm just going to add to it because you are, you did the same thing by creating that list. I created a list after one of our podcast episodes, one of our guests suggested that we should have a list before you get into a relationship. Yeah. Um, because by then your mind is jaded. Mm. But I, so I, as soon as we were done with that show, I sat down and I started my list and it's an evolving list. I added something just a couple of weeks ago to it. And mine is set up in two categories. The first is immediate deal breakers things yep. that you can generally know before you even go out with someone. And for example, smoking is on mine. Mm-hmm. I won't go out with a smoker. And then others are the must haves. These are the things that they must have as a person or in their life and things they must not do to me. And one of those, for example, is embraces my crazy and supports my dreams. Oh, I love and, that. And I mean, we're all crazy. We're all crazy. I'm sorry. I mean, I know somebody's going to say, you shouldn't say crazy, but no, we're all crazy. It's about finding somebody with compatible craziness and compatible baggage and compatible background and that kind of stuff. And and then we can all be happy. Can I make a suggestion to update your list one more time? Get rid of any negativity on there whatsoever. So instead of saying non-smoker, someone who embraces good health. Instead of saying, I don't want someone who's lied, someone who's trustworthy. Because your unconscious mind will connect you and remind you of all the things that you don't want. You want to fully focus on what you do want. So look at what you don't want and write the opposite. Well, what does that actually mean for me? It means I want someone who lives in healthy lives, who values their lungs, you know, blah, 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 blah. Clean air, (laughs) whatever it might be. Yeah. And really- I I will do that. And add some emotion to it. I want to feel the love. I want to feel the joy of celebrating our craziness. When you add the feeling to it, oh my God, it just opens your heart up to it. Oh, I love it. I will do that. I will be looking at my list this weekend, I promise. Excellent. Well, (laughs) Leanne, thank you so much for being here. I've enjoyed the story and I'm sorry you had to go through so much, but thank you for sharing it with us. I know that we've all learned a lot. Absolutely. And you know what? I'm not sorry anymore because I've done the work. I know that we both were living our own stuff. We were doing our absolute best. You know, we talk to each other now, Richard and I. We love our children. We do our best for them as well still. And I couldn't be happier in the life that I am now. And if it wasn't for him, for Richard, I would not have learned any of those lessons. I boldly believe that our ex-partners, all our partners, everyone we meet, are here to teach us something. And he taught me the most valuable lessons I could ever possibly learn. And I'm very grateful for that. That's a great way to look at it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. 
When I first met Leanne, I asked her to come prepared with the advice she'd like to share. Leanne didn't even blink before she said, I know exactly what I'm going to say already. And the way I see it, this is a practicing psychologist and divorce coach. I think she knows her shit. We should listen. And I agree. Setting proper boundaries is great advice. I'm so happy that Leanne has overcome her lack of self-love and has set the proper boundaries and is now living a great life as a result. I really hope you enjoyed hearing Leanne's story today. If you did, please tell the world by going to whatever app you're using right now and give us five stars and write something down for the review. It doesn't have to be much or even about the show, but those ratings and reviews really help us move up the charts. That's it for today, guys. Have a great week. Bye. Divorce doesn't have to be complicated. Our Divorce.com's three-step procedure provides a simple and affordable process that you can follow at your own pace. Save thousands by visiting OurDivorce.com today.